the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. The Bob Francis Authority. Good morning. Thanks for joining us as we get underway at eight minutes after uh, the hour of nine o'clock on this Monday, the 14th morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Appreciate you being with us. It is Columbus Day. Let me say that again and let me say it loudly and let me say it clearly. It is Columbus Day in the United States of America. No matter how badly certain localities maybe even certain states, wish that it were not. The attempt to rename Columbus Day something along the lines of Indigenous Peoples Day or whatever, uh, that attempt continues, and it will continue to fail. So long as there are historians who are willing to tell the truth and who are willing to defend the name of Christopher Columbus against the slander and libel that... Uh, continue to to challenge his, his historical legacy by these far-left, woke Americans. It is Columbus Day, and we do indeed honor one of the greatest men in the history of this country. And you say, well, wait a minute, wasn't he Italian? And wasn't he sailing on the, on the Spanish dime? Yes, but without him, we do not have this country. We do not have this civilization. We do not have everything that gives you the liberty and the freedom now to condemn and to slander and to smear his name. That is exactly the, the fact of the matter. And I have been waiting for Columbus Day to come around because over the past few years it has gotten worse and worse and worse in terms of the number of people uh, who wish, and particularly leftist organizations, who wish to uh, destroy or to attempt to destroy uh, the legacy of Christopher Columbus. And again, we will not allow that to happen. I will not allow that to happen, at least to those within the vicinity of my voice. And not just my voice, 
but the voice of others, including other radio show hosts, including other uh, 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 guest speakers, lecturers, pundits, and so on and so forth. Uh, one of them being Michael Knowles, who uh, I want to share with you right out of the rip today, and I want to do it early in this program because I want to be able to do it twice or three times. Uh, just to kind of give a very brief defense of Christopher Columbus against an attack by one of these far leftists that I've been talking about, these uh, uh, these college students, these woke college students who want to paint and portray Christopher Columbus as a monster, as an evil slave tra- trader, as somebody who doesn't deserve to have a national holiday um, named after him. And uh, this was at a guest lecture by Michael Knowles, I believe it was at Georgetown University in D.C., which is a Catholic university, and this woke SJW, the social justice warrior, wanted to challenge the guest lecturer, Michael Knowles, about Christopher Columbus, using Christopher Columbus's own writings um, against him, which is par for the course. That's kind of how this works. The, the way that you destroy the legacy of a hero, somebody who, who's... I can't even begin to um, st- state strongly enough the dangers and the the courage that it took to confront those dangers to undertake the voyage to what Columbus and Columbus alone really believed and hoped would be the quote-unquote new world, looking for the Indies. He, he, at the time of Columbus's sailing, and you just only learn this by history and, 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 and studying and listening, but uh, the idea, I mean, it, it would be like somebody today not even the government with a massive amount of uh, technology and study, uh, an unlimited budget, uh, an organization like NASA uh, trying to reach a distant planet. But it would be like that if a private citizen, without anybody ever having done it, without us having gone to the moon, if just a private citizen, had went to had gone to the government and said, "Look, I've been studying this, and here's what I think. I think I could build this thing, and I could travel to a for not a foreign to uh, uh, to another planet or to our moon and get back again. If you just give me the funding, can you do it? And what if if this had happened again prior to NASA's existence, prior to the technology that we now know exists?" Um, to put satellites into orbit, to send space shuttles to and from various uh, 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 locations, and of course to to have done, accomplished the moon landing, to put a rover on Mars, all the things that we have seen done now. To us, it's kind of just accepted. That technology exists, right? But if it didn't, just one private citizen said, I want to go to the moon, or I want to go to, a, uh, to, a, to another planet. Um, what would we have thought? What would people have thought? Well, that was tantamount to what Christopher Columbus Back in, you know, the 1490s or 1480s and leading up to eventually getting the uh, queen of Spain to sign off and to fund the voyage, wanted to do crossing the ocean vast to try to find a new world, the new world, believing that this was the only way, truthfully, uh, to advance their civilization. The courage of that just cannot be overstated. It cannot be really even understood. The, and he spent years, he spent years studying geographical charts uh, led by, uh, laid uh, by other explorers trying to figure out uh, if this could be possible. 
And uh, eventually, again, we, well, we know the history of it, or at least some of the history of it, but what they try to do, those on the left, the social justice warriors, they try to cherry-pick from his own writings and his own arguments made in defense of trying to make this voyage and then trying to settle the new world, of course, encountering indigenous peoples to those locations, in the Indies in particular. Um, they cherry-pick things and use it to try to slander his name and using that to justify getting rid of Columbus Day. And, oh, by the way, I would simply have to ask, I've never really stopped to think about the historical context of it, but I'm going to go ahead and assume assume there wasn't another Columbus that was chosen to name the capital city of Ohio after. Was there? And I'm asking that legitimately because I don't know. I always assumed that Columbus, Ohio, was named after Christopher Columbus. And if the left is successful in removing Columbus Day from uh, our our list of federal holidays because of these cherry-picked slights of Christopher Columbus, these, these allegations and accusations of him being a horrible man who slaughtered people, et cetera, et cetera, if they're, if they're successful in removing the holiday, at what point do they go after the cities? Literally, the cities' names. Is Columbus, Ohio going to be politically correct to still exist in the year 2025? Will it exist in 2030? Maybe it'll take a little longer. I don't know. Columbus, Georgia. There's a lot of Columbuses in this country because a lot of people really respected the fact that we wouldn't be here if that incredible voyage had not been made. So with that as a backdrop, I want to start this program again with the, with a defense of Christopher Columbus, uh, as offered by guest lecturer at Georgetown University, guest speaker Michael Knowles, when challenged by a woke social justice warrior student who wanted to do exactly what I just described, cherry-pick some of Columbus's words and use them against him. Listen to this. I didn't have a time constraint because I have a lot of things I want to get through, but I'm going to read two quotes and ask how you justify this as, quote, a hero and, quote, one of the greatest men in history, as you said through your Where are your quotes from? The quotes are from his uh, journal. From where? his journal. I'm sorry. His journal. From the journal of Christopher Columbus. Yes. Okay. In his journal, he says, quote, let us in the name of the Holy Trinity go on sending all the slaves that can be sold. He also says, quote, the Indians are so naive. I will bring as much gold and slaves as you need. That actually was not in his journal. That was to the court in Madrid. I assume it wasn't in his journal because he would be writing to himself. Right. So you're saying Christopher Columbus uh, uh, agreed in a letter to his bosses who were funding his voyage that he would fulfill the terms of his voyage? That's what you're saying? This Uh, is some shock. There's there's two parts to it. The first one was from his journal where he quite literally said, let us in the name of the Holy Trinity go on sending all the slaves. The second one was to the court in Madrid appeasing them saying, yes, let's go get all these slaves. Well, you you mentioned in the name of the Holy Trinity, uh, Christopher Columbus baptized many natives. He did it personally. And he obviously was bringing the faith to the new world. You're at a Catholic university. If you believe that the faith is true and good and beautiful, as I do, as all Christians ought to do, then that's a wonderful thing to spread the gospel to people who have never heard it before. I think you misheard the quote. The, the last part of the quote I don't think the I misheard support. the quote, but you go can repeat on, it if you like. In the name of the Holy Trinity, what should yes. we do in that name? Go on sending all the slaves that can be sold. All the, so he sent slaves to the New World. That is true. That, or back to Spain. That is true. That was part of the deal. And if you listen to my lecture, I'm not sure. I, I heard your question, but I'm not sure you heard my lecture. He agreed to the uh, uh, encomienda system 
as a political concession because he was outfoxed by a local mayor named Roldan. This was the cause of much of his consternation in the New World. It's the reason that uh, Bobadilla was able to take over and usurp control from him in the West Indies. This is a political reality. This is not a beautiful thing. It's a terrible thing. Slavery is an awful thing. None of us disagrees with that. But for us now, as people who have benefited, all people of the whole world who have benefited from the greatest country, the most profitable, the most charitable, the most equitable, the most just, the one that allows you to stand there and ask me that question. For us to spit on that man who made all of it possible because he made some moral concessions in order to take the most ambitious voyage at that time in the history of man is so bizarrely ungrateful. It is so ignorant of historical and political realities as to be naive and sophomoric. Um, well, I, my question was, how can you justify calling him a hero? I agree I've just justified it. That's my explanation. That was I think that you're standing on the shoulders of giants and you think that you're flying, but you're not. We are dwarfs standing on the shoulders of that great man, and we spit down on him in our ingratitude. How pathetic. I, uh, yeah, keep the, keep the applause going. Oh, that wasn't exactly what I was hoping for there. I was hoping for the, for the full Can You Dig It? But uh, that, again, was uh, guest lecturer Michael Knowles, who uh, uh, does a show for thedailywire.com at, I believe it was Georgetown University. And uh, that is exactly how you have to treat these social justice warriors who want to cherry-pick information and make it look however negative, however bad they can, that they have to, in order to continue their 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 mission, their agenda of political correctness, censorship, and, yes, an ignoring of true uh, world history. And, yes, American history by way of Christopher Columbus. You are standing on the shoulders of giants and suggesting that you are flying. You're not. That is a great line by the historian. That is a great point that was made. Uh, look, yes, there were certain concessions that had to be made in the advancement of this civilization that we now know. Looking back on it, you know, sometimes people say it's bad to have uh, uh, hindsight, right? Because hindsight is always twenty twenty vision. It's easy to go back and judge from the perspective of, of, of history, looking back to see what already happened and how things turned out. And that's a bad thing. Well, yeah, it can be. But sometimes 2020 vision is absolutely what you, uh, the hindsight, I should say, the 2020 vision that comes with hindsight is exactly what you need to understand something. Now that we do look back from the year 2019, back to the voyage that began in 1492, now that we do look back at the uh, colonization of the Indies and eventually the colonization of the Americas, now that we do look back and what we have become, we are going to spit, spit on the man whose ambition, whose courage made it all possible. We do more good for more people of more uh, uh, ethnicities and, and backgrounds and histories than any nation in the history of this world. And it's all because, as you heard the historian Michael Knowles say, it's all because of the courage of Christopher Columbus. Was he a perfect man? No. Does he deserve the praise? Does he de- deserve the holiday? Uh, that has been named after him, you better believe he does. And if you want to erase that from our history, like I said, good luck. Uh, because the cities of Columbus, Ohio, Columbus, Georgia, and I don't even know all of the other Columbuses. Those are just the ones that come to mind. Uh, but the, those names are going to have to go next. You think they're going to stop with statues? Nope. 
Names are coming off of schools, they're coming off of cities, and they're going to attempt to wipe out this holiday. Again, not on my watch or the watch of people who actually care about history. All right, 922, the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer, back after this. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. I want to uh, I want to pivot here a little bit away from the Columbus Day narrative. Uh, it was important to get that part of our story together as we start today on Columbus Day. I will replay that probably in hour number two, and I will probably replay it in the Dennis Prager show today. I will be sitting in for the brilliant Dennis Prager coming up at noon today. So you'll get five hours of France, if you can tolerate it, <laughs> to now. We'll have a gap, uh, an hour of Mike Gallagher, then I'll be on for three uh, for the Dennis Prager show. But I want to pivot away from that now. And I want to point you to my social media pages, but not just for general purposes, but for a reason. The Turkish invasion of Syria, northern Syria, of course, is already underway. Uh, it happened almost immediately after the president announced that we were pulling our last remaining troops out of northern Syria, giving er- Erdogan essentially a green light to come on in and then saying, but by the way, you better not because we'll impose sanctions on you. We know the story now. We can also tell you that uh, the invasion is leading to multiple atrocities. Um, <clears throat> we can also point out to you that at least 1,000 ISIS fighters that were currently being held in prisons run by the Kurds have escaped their prisons. They have rushed their guards. They have broken down their barriers because the Kurds couldn't guard them anymore because they were busy fighting off Turkish forces, which means ISIS is now on its way back to reconstituting. Whether they will be able to build a caliphate like they had, uh, it remains to be seen, but there's a lot of problems with this particular situation. One of them, and this is this is important um, when we talk about, you know, we live in the age of fake news. Uh, I disagree with the president's call on this, as uh, do a lot of other Republicans, and, and many of them not rhinos, but, but legitimately have concerns about this policy. But I will not abide by people trying to blame President Trump for things that didn't happen and that don't happen. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, otherwise known as Alexandria Damasio-Cortez, tweeted over the weekend a video saying that she had just seen a video of a screaming, crying, hysterical Syrian woman holding her dead child. There is a video of her, it's one minute long, screaming and holding this child, This more more like a toddler, I, I, I would say, not an infant, not a... Uh, but a toddler, I'm looking at the child probably about three years old would be my guest, maybe two. Yeah, probably two, looking at, you know, just by experience. Anyway, this video of the mother screaming, which it doesn't do me any good to play for you because she's screaming in, in her language. You wouldn't be able to understand it anyway. But this video is purportedly uh, showing the atrocity of this child being killed in the Turkish invasion. The problem with that is it is 100% fake. When you get when we get into this bottom of the hour news break in a second here, I want you to go to my social media pages, Twitter, Facebook, and Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R. And I want you to watch the one-minute video. 
And I want you to be prepared to freeze, pause the video at the 37-second mark. And then I want you to tell me what you see. Look very closely at the child, the dead child, at this 37-second mark of this video. And tell me what you see. Look at it for yourself. And then comment to me on the social media page what you saw. And then I'll read the responses on the other side of the news, which we're going to now. But it's between the 37-second and 39-second mark. It's about a, about a one, one-and-a-half-second part of the video. I want you to look very, very closely at what you see. And then we'll talk about it on the flip side. It matters. You might not think it does, but it matters, and I'll tell you why. Right after the on AM 1420, The Answer. Just finishing up, getting the uh, video shared for you so that you can see it. I apologize if you couldn't see it during the uh, break. I tried to get it as quickly as I can, but um, you need to you need to see the video again. The viral video of a grieving mother, which is being used to propagate the idea that the Turkish army is killing Kurdish and Syrian children, and that this is Trump's fault. Uh, again, viral. AOC, Alexandria Damasio-Cortez, uh, tweeted this over the weekend, screaming you know, via Twitter about how horrific this is, and this is what Trump has brought, blah, blah, blah. Now, again, I disagree with the president's call on how to handle this northern Syria and to call the media the enemy of the people because this was spread by the media as fact when what you're going to see when you watch this, as I've kind of challenged you to do, at the 37-second mark of this uh, roughly minute-long video, it's about 102, one minute and two seconds, at the 37-second mark, you're going to see this child who is limp and, and, and you know, whose, whose arms and legs and head, as this mother holds the child with one arm, are all just kind of hanging there, indeed looking as if it's a, a dead child, a dead body. This child at the 37-second mark does something that, dead children don't do she blinks she or he i'm not sure the sex of the child but the child blinks multiple times this child is limp and is either a an extraordinarily good actor in playing the part as a prop in this look at what is being done to us by the american government look what they allowed erdogan to do to us either the child is an amazing actor at the age of maybe two Maybe three, not quite sure. Or more likely, this child's doped up. This child has been drugged. This child has been dosed with something to make it essentially limp, uh, to, to be almost dead asleep with the exception of the fact that the child is blinking. And this woman is screaming. The translation, and, and again, it really doesn't do me any good to play the audio for you because, <clears throat> excuse me, because... Um, uh, of the uh, of the language, but what I do have the subtitles. What she is screaming is, "I left my husband behind alone, and I don't know if he is alive." What does Erdogan want from us? I carry dead body of my daughter. Okay, there's the answer. It is a a, a child, uh, a girl. 
Uh, the, my daughter and fled. What does he want? And she's holding up the child. America sold us out to Turkey. They are murdering our children. Where are the, what are, where are the rights of the Kurdish people? She says. Where are our rights? Aren't we human because we are Kurds speaking Kurdish? Look at this. And she's holding the child up again. I'm carrying my daughter's corpse. I have nowhere to go, nowhere to live. And as this limp child is being, you know, kind of lifted in and held up for the purposes of the camera, again, the arms and legs are limp, the head is back, but then when you see a certain angle, uh, as the child is shaken around by the, the mother there, the child starts blinking. The child is alive. Uh, she screams further. All right, now she stopped to cry. She's crying in her hands. Then she says, what does Erdogan want from us? Then she's hugging her supposedly dead child's body. Uh, what does? Why was Erdogan not doing anything with ISIS when ISIS were attacking Kobani and beheading our children? And it's down to the last minute of the video now. She's still hugging. She's still hugging. And I guess that's going to be the end of her rant. Okay. Now, this woman looks and sounds legitimately like she's in, in grief. Um, the question is, is what was done? Did someone drug her daughter? Did someone, did she drug her daughter? Did someone hand her, maybe it's not even her daughter, hand her this child and said, here's what we need you to do. We need you to play act here. You need to be terrified. You need to scream about Erdogan. You need to talk about this being your dead, but dead child. My point to all of this is simple. The president has enough enemies. The president has enough detractors. The president has enough critics. Uh, from time to time, I'm one of them. Even though I will continue to support his reelection vociferously and and with great effort, um, because he is absolutely the only chance that we have to stave off a socialist communist government and hopefully to continue the economic growth of this country. But I disagree with him on this policy. Disagreeing with him on a policy is different than making up fake news in order to make him look guilty in order to make him look bad, as if he is responsible for this kind of atrocity. The President of the United States is not responsible for any of that. And guess what else? The President of the United States certainly isn't responsible for very poorly acted um, uh, fake videos, fake news videos used to engender outrage and, uh, and, and, and anguish brought on by the President of the United States. It's just not Right. But you have to see that video for yourself because you know what it's going to do, or at least what it should do? It should make you question almost everything you see from the mainstream media, from people like AOC who tweeted this out as if it were rock solid fact. The foundation of this is solid. I mean, it's, it's completely phony. And now that it is being exposed as being phony, now that the child blinking has been documented and chronicled by many, many people, um, the left has stopped talking about it. That's why I am talking about it, because you need to see this. You need to see this. People fell for this, and they used it as this, again, look what Trump is bringing. Trump Trump brings death to children, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, this isn't Trump's doing. This is Erdogan's doing. The president's decision to remove American troops, in my estimation, is a bad one. But he didn't do this. Erdogan is doing this. The Turks are doing this. But they're using it as a way to try to bludgeon Donald Trump rhetorically, saying that he is responsible for these dead, this dead child and other dead children. The child is not dead. It's fake news. It's play-acted. 
And the president doesn't need any more on his plate. Like I said, he's already going to have critics on this. Myself, Lindsey Graham, among others, um, were really, really concerned. A whole host. Andy McCarthy wrote a piece that I found very important. Andy McCarthy wrote a piece for the National Review uh, talking about how the impeachment, the ridiculous impeachment movement started by the Democrats, but expected by almost everybody to hit a brick wall if it does indeed go to the Senate for a trial. And that's how this works. First, they haven't even started an official impeachment inquiry, as you know, because Nancy Pelosi will not hold the vote. And the reason why is she's got nothing on which to base this vote. And if they hold it and people vote for impeachment inquiry and impeachment inquiry anyway, it goes on their voting record, and they're going to have to answer for it in their districts, many of them Democrats running for re-election in Trump won districts in their state. So she won't hold the vote. But at any rate, if she does, and then, it move, then they move for articles of impeachment, and then they actually vote for impeachment and send it to the House for a trial, or to the uh, Senate for a trial, the belief here is, of course, that's where it ends. Because the GOP-led Senate, 53 to 47, is not going to vote to convict the Republican president of the United States. That's the belief. And that's probably still the case. But it should be pointed out, Andy McCarthy wrote a piece uh, for National Review and, and, uh, and, and uh, talking about the impeachment and saying this is bad impeachment news for President Trump. The fact that many of those Republican roadblocks, if you will, you know, Republicans in the majority Senate <clears throat> are so livid over the Syria decision and the Turkish uh, green light, if you will, that the... Uh, our allies, the Kurds, are going to be slaughtered. They may be so angry about it that they won't be the brick wall that stops President Trump from being, quote-unquote, convicted in the Senate and thus removed from office. That's a problem. At least it could be a problem. Andy McCarthy writes, what is impeachment for? Seems like a simple question. Constitutionally speaking, it also appears to have a simple answer, to cite and remove from power a president guilty of wrongdoing. But I, there's the rub. What sort of wrongdoing warrants removal from power? I'd wager that the flames of impeachment were stoked more this week by President Trump's foreign policy than they have been by any purported impeachable offense his opponents have conjured up over the last three years. By redeploying a few dozen American troops in Syria, the president decided to, uh, excuse me, the president acceded to a Turkish invasion of territory occupied by the Kurds. Ostensibly, that has nothing to do with the impeachment frenzy over Ukraine, whose government Democrats accuse the president of pressuring to dig up dirt on a political rival. But Turkey's aggression could crack the president's impeachment firewall. There is rage over the, over Trump's decision. It is rage over policy, not over high crimes and misdemeanors. Only the most blindly angry can doubt the lawfulness of the commander-in-chief's movement of U.S. soldiers, even though it rendered inevitable the Turks' rout of the Kurds. Ironically, though, the lack of an impeachable offense is not the relevant impeachment consideration. Nor does it matter that, while excruciating, the president's decision is defensible. And it is. It absolutely is. I know people listening to me right now are saying, you know, you're wrong, Bob, and others who disagree with the president here are wrong. This is the right thing to do. We can't get involved in fighting everybody's wars. Turks and Kurds have been fighting uh, with one another for centuries. We can't be involved in that. That's what, that's what some believe, and the president's right, and that's okay. There is room to agree and disagree on the Trump train about various policies. 
And we can all be on that train together and not always agree with everything that goes on. But here's the problem, going back to Andy McCarthy now. Uh, it is def- the president's decision is defensible and will be applauded by Americans weary of entanglement in the Muslim Middle East wars. But what matters is that President Trump has damaged his support among Senate Republicans. How badly that has been damaged remains to be seen. But that's the important point here. If Senate Republicans are so angry, or at least a few of them, remember, you don't need, a, you don't need all of them, but if they're so angry with the president's decision to withdraw those last remaining troops from Syria and allowing uh, Turkey to invade, and thus, as I also point out, this is why I have a problem with it. I got two problems with it. One is big, one is small. The smaller one is, hey, you can't do this to an ally. We asked the Kurds to help us fight ISIS. ISIS was a threat to not only American interests in Europe and in the Middle East, but also to the the United States people themselves. ISIS committing all kinds of atrocities over the course of the first uh, few years after Barack Obama withdrew our troops and allowed ISIS to be formed, withdrew our troops from uh, from uh, uh, Iraq. Um. ISIS is, is, is a major problem, and we asked the Kurds to fight them for us. And the Kurds did. So my smaller of the two problems I have is that we're abandoning somebody who fought for us and did us great aid, help, helped uh, you know, perform a great service to us and to liberty-loving people everywhere. But number two, my bigger problem is the fact that over 1,000 ISIS fighters who had been held in prisons controlled by the Kurds have escaped now as the Kurds have had to turn their backs on guarding ISIS fighters in order to fight Turkish invaders. I'm not quite understanding how anybody can think that's okay. Yeah, yeah, well, they're over there. Do, do we not watch ISIS? When they were establishing their caliphate, did we not watch the impact and the ability that they had to radicalize uh, people here in the United States of America? We have people in American federal prisons right now who are in prison for joining or conspiring to join ISIS or to carry out ISIS-style attacks as lone wolves in support of ISIS. When the president, through our alliance with the Kurds, essentially wiped ISIS out, that stuff stopped. What's going to happen if they resurge? Former Secretary of Defense General James Mattis, with whom I didn't always agree, by the way, he had a lot of disputes with the president, and I sided with the president. But James Mattis disagrees on this one as well, and this time I side with Mattis. He said, there is no doubt, and with his considerable experience, I think he knows, he said there is no doubt that the ISIS fighters will reconstitute, and they will attempt to establish a new caliphate, and they will indeed go to any lengths uh, to accomplish that. And 1,000 fighters just so far... Uh, being, you know, escaping, not released, but escaping from those prisons being held by the Kurds is certainly a great start toward doing that. So we have to be aware of this. We really do. This is bad. This is a bad look for the president. It's a bad look. <clears throat> excuse me. It's a bad look, uh, for our potential alliances with other countries around the world based on what we have done here to the Kurds. Uh, there's no question about that. So it's bad 
It's a bad look for the president, so much so that we don't need to pile on the president with other things. He is not responsible. I heard Lindsey Graham this morning talk about this. The president may have made the policy here. But number one, that's just our policy regarding our troops. He and we are not responsible for what Turkey does. Erdogan, and only Erdogan, is responsible for atrocities that they may commit. That needs to be made clear. This is not blood on the president's hands. Not at all. And number two, we are going to respond. And right now, massive crippling economic sanctions are being prepared by the White House. And similar measures are being planned by the Congress, at least according to Lindsey Graham in the uh, uh, GOP-controlled Senate. So crippling sanctions intended to essentially destroy the Turkish economy in order to uh, stop them from doing what they're doing. Now, the damage may already be done in some circumstances. But we are responding, and that part the president should be excuse me uh, sneezing on live radio is hard to, hard to stop. Uh, but that part the president needs to be given credit for. All right, two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. That's the number to join us. The Bob France Authority. Right back after this. Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland on one hundred two point five FM. It's the Bob Frantz Authority. All right, nine fifty six. Now the Bob Frantz Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. We are guest-free today, by the way, so uh, if you uh, want to get online, uh, do it now at uh, that phone number, and we'll get you up and on the radio sooner rather than later. Congressman Jim Jordan is busy with hearings today and interviews, and he will uh, be joining us on Wednesday's program, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, let me remind you now, though, about Heartbeat International. We are, are partnering with Heartbeat International's option line throughout the month of October. I've been telling you every day. Uh, some of the stories of women who are, can best be described as at-risk women, women who are at risk and vulnerable to the Planned Parenthood-style butchers who are always pushing abortion, abortion, abortion as the answer to any unwanted pregnancy or unplanned pregnancy. And everybody's got a different story as to how um, their unplanned pregnancy happened. And everybody's got a different story as to what they did about it. And one of the things that they sh- they all have in common is that they consulted Option Line. Here's the story of April Horton. My name is April Horton, and I'm 23. My story's a little crazy. Um, I was 20 years old, and I had just gotten through the divorce and moved to a new town. Um, lived there literally 12 days, and I got hit by a truck. Um, I was paralyzed from the ribs down, and my life, I thought, was completely over. I was completely destroyed, devastated, thought I had no future. I mean, nobody wants to be 20 and be in a wheelchair, you know? Um, I had a a two-and-a-half-month-old, and I just thought that, you know, I would never play on the playground with her. I would never do anything. And um, fast forward, um, after two years of rehab and getting out of the hospital, surgery after surgery. So I had a work-study position at the Paris Pregnancy Care Center. I was totally pro-law. In December, I found out I was pregnant. So you're thinking, okay, I have 
now boss that's pro-life and they teach abstinence and you're divorced and a single mom that already has one kid. Great odds for you. And so I decided that, you know, maybe like I'd already been through a devastating event. Maybe I couldn't handle this physically. Who knew if I could carry the pregnancy to term? Who knew if I would be able to emotionally deal with it? I didn't think I could even love another child. And so I just was thinking, okay, maybe I should go have an abortion and never tell a soul. Maybe I should just get it over with. Never happened, right? Be a part of her life. So I decided that, okay, they support women all the time. I'll go ahead and tell them I'm pregnant. And so I told them, and not once did they ever say, uh, you're in a wheelchair. Are you sure you can do this? But, you know, they didn't say, you're young, you're already a single mom, just go have an abortion and, you know, life will be easier for you. They never said any of that. They told me that I was a strong woman and that I could do whatever that was thrown at me. They helped me set up resources, things like diapers, which are so expensive. But they just empowered me all the way. They didn't ever doubt my ability, even when I did. That's exactly what Option Line is for, to provide women with the belief that you can do this. Don't take your baby's life. Don't make your baby pay the price and sacrifice for circumstances that you feel like maybe you can't control. That's what Option Line stands for. It gives women the options that maybe they don't know that are available because other people are going to push them right into the pro-abortion side of things. So Heartbeat International is saving babies' lives, one mother at a time. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The government funds organizations that kill babies. The government funds organizations like Planned Parenthood. They don't fund organizations that save babies, like Heartbeat International. That's where we come in. We have to fund organizations like this. Donations need to be made, and we're doing this all month long in support of Heartbeat International and Option Line to save babies' lives. Your donation of $75 will allow the call center, like the one that took April's call there, that put her in touch with the right pregnancy center to make her empowered and believe she can be a mother to her new child, and she is and she was. Your donation can allow that call center to take calls for an hour. A $150 donation allows two hours, four Fifty allows four hours, $900, half a day. Costs $1,800 to sponsor a full day of calls to Heartbeat International. Now, you may not have that kind of money, but if you have any money that you can donate to charity, it is indeed tax-deductible, and you're looking for the right charity, guess what? You have found it. Donate a couple hundred dollars. Donate just the $75 that allow Option Line, Heartbeat International's Option Line, to save babies' lives through honest, true consultations with at-risk moms. Now, you can donate very simply. Go to our webpage, whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Click the banner ad at the top of the page that says Option Line, powered by Heartbeat International. Make your donation and save babies' lives, because the government won't do it for us. We have to do it for the babies. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.